Well, hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. One of the symptoms of an approaching nervous breakdown is the belief that one's work is terribly important. So said Bertrand Russell, the British polymath. He said that in his book, The Conquest of Happiness. I think one of the great uh, privileges, I suppose, really, in presenting this podcast is the fact that I'm able to introduce photographers to you to contribute and talk about their approach to photography and their work. I'm very lucky also that within an academic sphere, I'm able to introduce photographers to students to talk about their work. In just the last week, I've introduced five photographers to them. Danny North, photographer who's contributed to the podcast, has been teaching them. Nick Turpin, another photographer who's contributed to this podcast, also has been teaching them. Jenny Lewis, another contributor, has been talking about her work. And so has Dan Byrne Forty, another contributor, been talking about his work. So for me, that's a privilege to sit down and watch a photographer showing their images and talking about how they were made and what the background was and how did they come to make that work. Invariably, I find that photographers who talk in that way talk with a great humility. They recognise where their work sits in their life journey, but also they're able to recognise where it sits in the context of the broader environment of photographers. In reality, I believe that photography is very simple and is best kept simple. And in fact, I forgot that uh, picture editor and photographer Tom Broadbent also spoke to the students in the last week. And we were talking about his project, The Furries, a very simple idea, which then took up 10 years of his life and resulted in multiple exhibitions and a book. The tricky part of photography seems to be all the other stuff. The cameras, the downloading, the dealing with clients, the technological breakthroughs, the software that doesn't talk to some other software, the firmware that doesn't update, and so on and so forth. But the purity of photography, of the creating of the image, to me, is simple. The difficulty lies in finding out, of course, which stories you want to tell, which subjects are important to you, what are you passionate about, and what are you interested in. Those, to me, are the true foundations of photography. And there's no doubt that by listening to other photographers, it gives you a real insight into how you can answer those questions for yourself. It may be 2021, but for many reasons, the UK today reminds me of the dark days of 1973. I was nine years old, but despite my young age, the daily news of unrest, shortages, strikes and economic poverty seeped into my consciousness alongside the glam rock antics of Mark Boland, the Sweet and Slade. The Observer magazine passed around the breakfast table alongside the news of the world, two strange bedfellows perhaps, alongside, I should say, the Sunday Times magazine, were showing approaches to journalism and storytelling, living in the same space within the family home. 
Times were tough and the photographers and journalists working at the Sunday Times and the Observer were on a mission to tell stories that mattered, that needed to be told and known. Stories from the underbelly of society that had nothing to do with lifestyle and everything to do with life lived. I now know that the images I was looking at were created by photographers such as Don McCullen, Colin Jones and John Bulmer, amongst others. The advertisements in those magazines and newspapers for charities working to change the social economic reality of so many featured photographs by photographers such as Paul Trevor and Nick Hedges. Photographers who created them hoped to incite change through their creation. Humanist photography, also known as the School of Humanist Photography, manifests itself in the Enlightenment of philosophical, I should say, system in social documentary practice based on a perception of social change. It was born in France between the two world wars, but Britain, exposed to much the same threats, embraced the ideological approach to image making, primarily across the pages of Picture Post, through the work of Bert Hardy, Kurt Hutton, Felix H. Mann, Francis Rees, Thurston Hopkins, John Chillingworth, Grace Robertson and Leonard McComb. Humanist photographers harnessed the photograph's combination of description and emotional effect to both inform and move the viewer, who may identify with that subject. Today, COVID shortages, fuel poverty, employment insecurity and a lack of support for well-being issues now fills the news bulletins that my nine-year-old daughter sees and hears on a daily basis. But are we photographers rejecting the cold, hard representation of the Dusseldorf school in favour of a humanist approach in line with the economic and social world in which we live in? Well, of course, Jim Mortram is somebody who has been doing this and has been fighting austerity for the last 10 years or so. And there are other photographers out there that I'm seeing suddenly who are looking to make an emotional connection with their photography and are looking to seek political change through their work. For me, it's really important, and I really hope that we are experiencing a return of humanist photography. I think it's a new challenge. It's a challenge for photography and photographers, but it's really important for both to be of the time they're in and not of a time that's past. This week, we welcome to the podcast to explain in under five minutes what photography means to him, Richard Ansett, who's a social documentary portrait photographer based in London, whose heavily stylized individual studies and essays revolve around an empathy with disenfranchised communities informed by his own relationship to his sexuality and adoption from birth. His individual portraits have been acquired by the National Portrait Gallery London, the Smithsonian, USA and the Canadian Library and Archive. And his portrait of the artist Grayson Perry, titled Mother and Child, won first prize at the Sony World Photography Awards in 2019. 
and its series of portraits exploring the complex mental health of women prisoners and a series exploring a disappearing community in South London behind the brutal facade 2020 were both shortlisted subsequently for the same awards. The portrait of an autistic boy in a flower garden from the series Boys in a City Park, Ukraine 2011, won the Arte Laguna Prize 2013 and his project Mother and Child Donbass, Ukraine 2011, was exhibited at the UNICEF What Is Your Name exhibition in Kiev in 2016 as a metaphor for the trauma of enforced internal dislocation and migration due to conflict. His portrait, Danel, selected from his series Children of Grenfell, was taken six months after the Grenfell Tower fire and was selected as the People's Choice at the Taylor Wessing Portrait Prize in 2018. His images have been selected 13 times for the National Portrait Gallery London Portrait Prize exhibition. Hi Grant, it's Richard here. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to talk about what photography means to me. Um, I feel photography is my voice, which goes some way to explaining why I'm so bad at explaining myself in other ways. It's best I don't say anything and let the work do the talking usually. It might even be harmful to engage in another medium of communication other than the one that has been such a joy and support my whole life. The act of photographing someone rationalises the need in me to intimately connect to people that feels less possible otherwise. It's an exploration of the world I feel a detachment from, informed by my sexuality and adoption, and the camera enables what I consider a safe connection. The camera is an instrument of investigation into how other people are how they do life relative to my own. A therapist and mentor once observed me as the character Tiny Tim in A Christmas Carol. Denied the Christmas he wants, he peers through a window or lens at the lives of others he considers more complete. The camera enables my exploration of other lives in that moment that I celebrate as more complete, irrespective of the complexities of their lives, and I fantasise about the alternative reality that exists in parallel to my life now where I understand the existential questions about my creation, my other life. As a traditional photographer, I am seeking a holy grail, that great image, recognising it as an impossible quest, or as Jung explained, a horizon that remains distant no matter how much we approach it. My artist's gaze is triggered by young, struggling single mothers, projecting my need to know that alternative life and old women that could be my mother now. Most of my work has the appearance of social documentary and it accidentally does have an objective truth, but it is much infected by my search for my own answers. My subjects recognise my need for intimacy and I am welcomed into their lives like a Trojan horse or a magpie in their nest. I am for just a short period of time, confluent with them and deeply emotionally connected, enabled by, and all of us protected by, the layers of distance afforded by the camera. I document these moments randomly, completely consumed, and I relive the otherwise invisible connections like trophies or memento mori through an 
an alternative intimate exploration of the files back in the privacy of the studio. This visceral capture essentially informs what is defined as my artistic practice. The camera allows a level of emotional engagement that would otherwise be impossible. My work with Flash affords a documentation of many unseen, complex emotional moments passed through during the sitting. The speed of the light records these interruptions in the timeline and as photographs become detached ambivalent objects of desire and the relationship to traditional social documentary ends there, the flash, combined with very high-resolution digital capture, affords me an almost impertinent pixel-level scrutiny of my subjects. My relationship to the results are a re-evaluation beyond what Sontag called the immediate nostalgia of the capture, and I become the objective curator of my own work, which often requires great distance, and that can mean years. The portrait is a contract documented in the relationship between the subject and the artist, um, the act of which is a therapeutic tool for both of us. The action or the making itself includes the viewer's needs, although entirely different to my own. Increasingly, I'm aware of the value of the portrait process to the subject through the act of being seen having accepted the invitation to the process. I don't doubt that the pain and pain of acceptance and rejection is alive and well in all working artists and in that I feel a belonging of sorts but I reserve my empathy mostly with my subjects who are my tribe and I hope their time with me and the results are of some value to them. Thank you, Richard, for your contribution this week, completely and utterly disproving his assertion at the beginning that he wasn't good about talking about his work. So often, there you go, that humility kicking in that I spoke about at the beginning of this episode. That felt a very eloquent uh, response to the question there from Richard. And I have to say, it made me feel like going back to look at his work and really taking on board what he said there and perhaps getting more understanding of the work, which I've seen previously. If you're not aware of his work, go to his website, have a look at his images. I think you'll feel the same as I do about that, that what he said today has actually brought more depth and more understanding and context to that work. I hope you agree. Also interesting, of course, that I started off this week talking about the idea of listening to photographers and the importance of that and the simplicity in a sense of what photography is. And I suppose in a way we can break it down to one word and that one word is personal. The personal informs everything that we do. The stories we tell, as I spoke about previously, the subject areas we're interested in and of course that voice. Lovely to hear him use the word empathy as well. Sometimes I see photography academics and critics being incredibly snooty and kind of condescending about two words in particular. One of them is empathy and the other word is democratic. To me, both of these words are totally relevant to photography, but to some others, they seem to feel as if they have to find a negative uh, connotation to both. I certainly don't find it. And uh, thank you very much, Richard, for your contribution this week. It's definitely a valued one. 
as well as our weekly podcast, it's that time of the year that I've been thinking about the Christmas and New Year's Eve specials. Uh, I think they're going to be very special this year with some really great contributions and conversation. I hope you agree. In fact, one of them features somebody who's already appeared on the podcast twice, which is more than anybody else has done except for me. So he'll be making his third appearance on the podcast over the Christmas and New Year season. One of the conversations we were having, actually, which will feature in one of those podcasts, um, was concerning the photographic exhibition, and it inspired me to write an article, Photography, the Photographer, and the user experience, which I've posted up on unitednationsofphotography.com over the last week, which you might like to check out, especially if you're thinking about exhibiting your work over the coming months or perhaps engaging in some kind of photographic festival. I think the idea of the online and the physical are going to present some very interesting problems for some and creative opportunities for others. I think one of the main things is photographers are going to have to get really used and good at talking and narrating and telling stories around their work. There's no doubt that that's going to be a major factor in future engagement with photography. The idea of the conversation with the photographers, I once again started to talk about at the beginning of this episode, It can be so revealing and important, but it can also be a little bit dry. Anyway, if you'd like to um, read what I think about that and some of the suggestions of the challenges that are lying ahead for many photographers, then do please check out that article. If you enjoy the contributions to the podcast, also I'll just remind you that the book, What Does Photography Mean to You?, is still available at just £9.99, published by Blue Coat Press, and available from them wherever you are in the world. Obviously, post and packing on top of that £9.99 from bluecoatpress.co.uk. Well, it's getting a little bit chillier in the shed, but it's not too cold yet. There's only a couple of fires on and not all of the fires. If you wondered if this uh, shed was just a a fake shed and I'm actually sitting in a comfortable little office somewhere pretending to be in a shed, well, let me tell you, that's not the case. I'm now going to knock the wall. There you go. That's the shed, and that's where this podcast comes from every week. Uh, I hope you enjoy it if you're a regular listener. It's really great to hear that so many of you are sticking with us every week and enjoying what we're doing. So thank you very much for your support. It really does mean a lot to me. Um, But if you're a new listener to the podcast, I hope you've enjoyed it also. We do this every week, and every week we have a different photographer joining us and answering that question. So just leaves me to end this podcast episode in the way in which I end all of them. And it's a very heartfelt suggestion. It's nothing more than a suggestion, but it really is heartfelt. And of course, you know, if you're a regular, that what you need to do is just to take care.